Well, good morning, Gateway family. Great to see you this morning. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas celebration this week. I want you to find Psalm number 150 this morning. Psalm 150. It's the very last one in the book of Psalms. Friends, today we come to the end of our six-month journey through the Psalms. Now, we haven't seen all the Psalms. We've seen 27 of the 150. But the 27 Psalms we've seen over these last six months, we've seen Psalms of lots of different types. We've seen psalms that are about the Word of God and how God has spoken to us and how the Word of God transforms us and changes us. We've seen psalms that are all about the character of God, how He's all-knowing, or we might say omniscient, how He's omnipresent, He's everywhere, and He's omnipotent, He's all-powerful. We've seen psalms about His character, about His greatness and His covenant faithfulness. We've seen psalms that are all about God's plan. His plan for the Messiah to come, what we've looked at the last three weeks, to come to rescue us, to rule and to reign over all things. We've seen psalms about God's plan for the nations, to know Him and worship Him. We've seen psalms about God's plan for our lives, how we're to walk in wisdom and how we're to have unity with one another. We've seen psalms about God's care for us, how He saves us, how He directs us, how He's with us, and how He even uses hardships in life to grow us and get us closer to Him. We've seen psalms about God's forgiveness, And how when we run to him, how he gives mercy and forgives us of our sins and welcomes us back to him. If you want to try to summarize all that we've seen in these 27 psalms we looked at, I think we could say that we've seen both the greatness and the goodness of God. We've seen together, held up in the psalms for us, the greatness of God and the goodness of God. That God is great. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's ruling. He's a God beyond anything we can imagine. Yet he's near. He's good. He's close. He forgives us. He leads us. And he is with us. He is both great and he is good. So we come to the end of our study in the Psalms. It begs a question of us. We've been seeing for six months the greatness and goodness of God. So friends, how do we respond to these truths? How do we respond to the fact that we get to know a God who is infinitely great and infinitely good? And it's no accident that the answer to that question of how we should respond to the greatness and goodness of God is found in the final Psalm, in Psalm number 150. It's believed to have been intentionally placed here to serve not only as the conclusion of the book of Psalms, which it does, but as a call to response to us. We've seen in 149 chapters of the Psalms how great God is and how good God is. And now in Psalm 150, it tells us what to do with the knowledge that we have received about who God is. So as you read Psalm 150 this morning, just be looking for very simply, how should we respond to God? How should we respond to God? Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Psalm number 150. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for all that you've been showing us as we've been studying the Psalms. Fathers, we've seen, once again, all these reminders of how powerful and infinite and sovereign you are. Yet all these reminders of how good and near and close and forgiving and merciful you are to us. God, I pray this morning as we look at this final psalm that you would just stir our hearts afresh with thoughts about how glorious you are and what it looks like to respond to you for all that you've shown us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's one thing I want you to see in Psalm 150 this morning when we think about how we respond to who God is. It's simply this. The greatness and the goodness of God should move our hearts to praise him every day. 
the greatness and the goodness of God should move our hearts to praise him every day. Friends, if we are in Christ, if we are followers of God, we believe in his greatness, we believe in his goodness. But if we're in Christ, we've experienced his greatness, we've experienced his goodness as well. And that reality should not just be intellectual for us, that we believe it. It should stir our hearts, and by our hearts I mean our affections, our emotions. We should feel a response to encountering God, and we should want to praise him for who he is and all that he has done. The greatness and the goodness of God should move our hearts to praise him every day. Now let's start with this about the greatness and the goodness of God. Now there's commands for us in Psalm 150. The Psalms are not primarily commands for us. They're primarily to focus our attention on God and who God is. And it's a simple reminder of all that we have seen. One thing so striking in Psalm 150 is in so many other Psalms, there will be verse after verse after verse after verse, either talking about the goodness of God or the greatness of God. But Psalm 150 is so succinct, it's so concise. Look at verse 2 when it describes for us who God is here. Verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now, it doesn't go into all the elaboration of other psalms, but it's summarizing all that we've seen here. Notice it tells us why we should praise God. Notice the words for and according to. It tells us why we should praise God. It's because God is good and because God is great. Look at that. First of all, God is good to us, his people. Notice the first part of verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. And we see the word mighty deeds in, in the Old Testament. Primarily, though, it can be used in different ways. Primarily, it's talking about God's saving acts. And so when the Jewish people would have heard this being sung, when they would have heard this as a call to them, their mind, when they hear mighty acts, would immediately go back to the Exodus. When God's people had been slaves in Egypt, and God, through miraculous signs and wonders, he sent the plagues, delivered God's people from their physical slavery. How he then led them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and gets them to the Red Sea. How he parts the Red Sea, and they walk across an ocean on dry ground. How he provides food and water for them. And on and on we could go about how God was with his people and delivering them. When they hear mighty deeds, they would think of their physical deliverance, of God's saving acts, of his goodness to them, his people. But friends, what about for us on the other side of history? We have seen the goodness of God in ways that the Israelites couldn't even imagine at the time. That God not just has rescued us physically, he rescues us from our sins. He rescues us from that which separates us from him. And we see the mighty deeds, we see the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. What we've just been celebrating for the last several weeks. How God, when we could never get to him on our own, came to earth as Emmanuel, God with us. How he lived a perfect life to fulfill the law that you and I have broken time after time after time, day after day after day. And how he went to a cruel Roman cross to bear the wrath of God that had to be pushed out against all sin. And he took it in our place so that we could be forgiven, so we could be restored to relationship with God. So we could become children of God. Friends, we have experienced the goodness of God his mighty deeds, but doesn't stop there. He doesn't just save us and make us his child. He now gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you think back to our study of Ephesians, he gives us grace upon grace, as we saw when we studied the gospel of John, and he will one day bring us home to him. We have seen the goodness of God. We've experienced his mighty deeds in so many ways. God is good. But let's remember that his goodness is an overflow of his character, his person, who he is. And so the Psalms remind us not just that God is good, but that God is also great. Look at the second phrase of verse 2. Praise him according to. Here's the second reason. Not just for his goodness, his mighties, but praise him according to for his excellent greatness. And we see the word greatness that refers to his character. Sometimes we call this his attributes. We praise God for his excellent attributes, his excellent character, his excellent characteristics. And that would include everything we've seen in the Psalms. His excellent holiness, his excellent justice, his excellent, yes, his wrath. 
That's all excellent, but also his mercy and his love and his grace, his holiness, his sovereignty, his power, and so much more. We see the greatness of his excellent character. He's a God infinitely greater than we can imagine. Praise him for his mighty deeds, for his goodness. Praise him according to his excellent greatness, for his greatness. How then should we respond? What should we feel when we get to encounter a God who is infinitely great and infinitely good? Friends, it should move our hearts. It should stir our hearts. We shouldn't feel cold to this. These aren't just academic truths. This is an experience that we should have. And we get a small glimpse of that happening in verse 1. Go back up one verse. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, this is interesting because mighty heavens here is being used in a way to actually speak of heaven, where the angels and the saints who've gone before are worshiping God. It's giving us a glimpse of what is happening in heaven right now, that angels, the spiritual beings that we can barely imagine, the souls of those who've gone before are seeing God with an unveiled face. We see dimly, they see in full. They are seeing the glory of God on full display with nothing hindering their view. And what happens when they see the greatness of God right before their eyes, when they get to experience the goodness of God, when they see his majesty and his power, it overflows. Psalm 148 verse 2, I want you to see this because this is a glimpse of what's actually happening here. It simply says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Friends, in heaven right now, those who see God with unveiled faces aren't standing around yawning about that. They're not glancing down at their iPhones trying to find something else to occupy their time. When they see the glory of God, when they see the greatness of God, there is something that's happening inside them that wants to respond to all they have seen. And that type of stirring when we see the greatness and goodness of God should not be limited to heaven. Notice verse 1, it gives us two locations that God and his people are feeling moved by his presence. Look back at the first phrase. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Sanctuary was the place at the time to where God's presence was most fully seen on earth. That we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience God, but he has revealed himself to us. He shows himself to us, and it should affect us. It should move us. It should stir our hearts, just as it stirs the hearts of those who are in heaven already. And friends, what happens when our hearts are moved by something? When we experience something in our hearts that is great and is good, what happens? Well, it's hard to be quiet, isn't it? It overflows. Something happens to where we have to feel like a need to express something when we discover this great and good. Just a few weeks ago, we did a, the a drama here of C.S. Lewis as the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I'm so grateful so many of you are here. If you did, weren't here, but you've seen the story. You know, in the story, Aslan, who's a lion, who's like the Christ-like figure, there's a big battle where he's attacking the white witch, who is the devil figure, the one who's brought darkness to the land. And when we were doing the drama here, and Aslan comes running down the center aisle, and the white witch is up here on the stage, he attacks her and she gets killed. Now, I won't forget it. In one of the performances, I don't know if it happened in both, but in one of the performances, as soon as the white witch died, everyone started clapping. Now, there was no applause sign that dropped from the top of the, the stage here, and everyone was just doing that to be nice. Like, there was an emotional response people felt in the middle of this drama, this story that we were being pulled into, where when the white witch dies, there's this response in our hearts to where it overflows and all of a sudden the whole room is exploding and, and applause because the evil has been represented as dying and good is prevailing. We had to express it because our affections have been moved. Because that happens at sporting events. If you've been to a close game to where your team wins, weird things happen at the end of the game. 
I had the boys with me at Jordan Hare in a big victory this year. And people I didn't know were hugging me. It was really awkward and strange. There were people down from me. There were like 18-year-olds giving us hugs and 70-year-olds giving us hugs. And people were crying. And I'm like, what is going on here? But there's an emotional response people were having. When your heart is moved by something, you express it. When you encounter something good or great, you feel affections and it overflows. Friends, as followers of Christ, we've experienced something much better than any sports team win. We've experienced something much grander than any drama can represent. We've experienced something much greater than anything you can see in all of creation. We get to experience God himself. A God who is great and a God who is good. And we get to experience him. And so what should happen? Well, our hearts should be stirred by that. And it should cause some overflow of response to happen. Greater than any feeling at a drama or a sporting event. There should be an overflow. Go back to verse 1 here. Praise the Lord Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The response that flows out when we encounter God is we praise him. His very first phrase, praise the Lord, is just simply two Hebrew words put together. It's the word halal, praise, and yah, the short form of Yahweh. So this first line literally is halal, yah. Sound a little bit familiar? So we get the word hallelujah from. Praise Yahweh. Praise the God of covenant faithfulness. Our response to God's greatness and goodness is to praise him, is to hallelujah him. Now, what does it mean to praise God? Well, that's important because it's the main word here. If we're to praise the Lord, praise God, praise him, 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 praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We need to make sure what we know what we're talking about if we're to be praising him. To praise, if you remember back some weeks ago to Psalm 145, I defined it this way. To praise is when you express admiration for the value or worth of something. To praise is to express admiration for the value or worth of something. You're not adding to the value or worth. The thing is already infinitely, or whatever you're praising, already has an intrinsic value in itself. You can't add to the value by praising it. You're simply recognizing the value, the worth of something, and you're expressing it to others. That's what happens when a friend gets engaged. You express outwardly like, wow, that's amazing. When you see something beautiful, you go, wow, look at God's creation. There's something that happens where you're expressing admiration for something that you think is valuable or worthy. Friends, when we are praising God, we're admiring the greatness and the goodness of God. The eternal one, the creator, the redeemer, the giver of every good thing. And friends, we should have an overflow as we experience God. We should have a desire to want to praise him, to hallelujah him, because we've seen his greatness. We've experienced his goodness here. But I want you to notice something. It's not just something that should overflow. It's something that must overflow. This is a command of God here. Look at verse 1 here. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens, friends. This word praise here that appears three times in verse 1, 13 times through the psalm, is in the Hebrew an imperative. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is not a description of how to have a fuller life. This is not a, just a suggestion for your life. This is a command from God given 13 times in a row. We are commanded by God to praise the Lord, to praise God, to praise Him, 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 to praise the Lord, to praise the Lord. 13 times in a row we are commanded to do this. We're commanded to gaze on his greatness. We're commanded to think about his goodness. We're commanded to have an emotional feeling towards him. We're commanded to express that back in praise. Unless we miss it, verse 6 tells us, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's the revealed will of God that if we are alive, friends, and you're alive and I'm alive, or we wouldn't be in this room today. We are alive. If we have a breath in our mouth, we should be praising 
God with it. God requires us to have affections for him. God requires us to express those affections to him. Now, in our culture, that can seem strange. You'll even hear people say, isn't God a little bit egotistical? He, he demands people to praise him. But friends, why does God require us to have feelings for him? Why does God require us to express those in praise to him? Two reasons I want you to see. Number one, because he alone is worthy. Simply, he alone is worthy. There's no one else who's fully great and fully good besides him. He is the only one who deserves praise, so he commands it. Psalm 148, verse 13. I want you to see it on the screen, or you can probably look over one column in your Bible there and see it. Let them praise the name of the Lord for, here's the reason, his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heavens. Friends, it's good for God to require us to have feelings for him. It is good for God to require us to praise him outwardly because he alone is worthy. If he points us to anything besides himself to praise, he'd be pointing us to idolatry. He'd be pointing us to sin, and he can't do that because he's holy. Yet so often, we choose to do that. So often, we get more excited about that sporting event than God. So often we get more excited about that new toy we got at Christmas or the new piece of technology or that job or that relationship than we get about God himself. He alone, is, his name is exalted. He alone has majesty above heaven and earth. We are to praise him and he commands it because nothing is worthy besides him. But number two, the second reason why it's so good for God to command us to have feelings for him and for God to command us to worship him, second reason, because only he can satisfy us. Only he can satisfy. He knows what we need. He knows he made us, and he knows that nothing can satisfy us except for him. Psalm number 90, verse 14. Would you see that up on the screen? He says, satisfy us. This is a prayer to God. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Friends, the feeling of satisfaction you feel after your team has won that big sporting event It'll fade by next year. It may even fade by the next week within seven days. The feeling of satisfaction you have, boys and girls, after that new toy you got at Christmas this year, it'll fade. And it, some of you may already have faded, though, it was just a few days ago. The satisfaction you think you have when you get the new iPhone, the new toy, well, it goes away when it breaks or becomes obsolete and your friend now has the quicker, better processor and all that stuff. The satisfaction you think you have with that relationship won't satisfy because we're all humans. We all are frail. We will all let each other down. None of those things will fully satisfy us, but God will. I love how it says in Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. This is not one of the Psalms we study together, but it's one that hopefully we'll do again in the future. But I love what it says here. You have put more joy in my heart than when the grain and new wine abound. Friends, nothing in this world can truly satisfy us apart from knowing God. And he will satisfy us in a way far deeper than anything the world can offer. The satisfaction you and I can have from abiding in Christ and knowing God is far deeper than any satisfaction of a sports victory, a new piece of technology, a new toy at Christmas, a new relationship, a new job, anything else. Only he can satisfy us in deep ways. And so God in his goodness to us commands us to look upon him, commands us to feel affections for him, and commands us to express those affections for him outwardly in praise because it's good for us, and it will give us satisfaction. So if you want to pull that together, why does God demand us to have feelings for him and respond? He does so for his glory and for our joy. Because when we have affections for God that overflow in praise, God gets the glory, friends, and we get the joy. It's, he gets all the glory, and we get the goodness of the experience of the joy of him. Friends, the greatness and goodness of God should move our hearts to praise him. 
But I want you to notice something in this psalm that's very much like the other psalms we've seen. Praise of God is not limited to Sunday mornings. Praise of God is not limited to the hour we're in here. Now, it's good, all that we've done this morning of praising God for who he is, that's good, and we should be doing that, but it should not be limited to this week. Our praise of God should be ongoing day by day, every day of the week. And you may be thinking, I didn't see that here in this psalm, but it's here just in poetic form like so many of the other parts of psalms. The reminder here to praise God every day is actually seen in the description of the instruments. Now, this kind of, we can, I'm serious about this, so we can miss this, but there, there's a reminder of the daily need to worship God in the way the instruments are described. Look at verses 3 through 5 here. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourines and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Now, for instance, it's absolutely fascinating to me the instruments that were picked by the psalmist who ever wrote this one. Because he's not sitting around going, okay, what instruments can I think of today? Uh, let's do a trumpet. Okay, what else is there? Uh, how about a flute? Uh, maybe a harp. Oh, what's next? This isn't like a random list, though it may seem that way to us. In this list, there's two different percussion instruments that are mentioned. The tambourine and the cymbal. The tambourine was used in the temple for worship. The cymbal was used outside of the temple for their ongoing celebrations and praise of God. So you have two instruments mentioned here, both percussion, one in the temple, one outside the temple. Same thing with the wind instruments. You have two wind instruments mentioned here, the trumpet and the lute or the flute. Now, the trumpet was used in the temple, but the flute, the lute, was used outside the temple, not in the temple. It was used in the homes and common everyday use as music was a part of people's lives. So there's a point being made here. If you're in the temple, praise God with your voices and with instruments. If you're not in the temple, keep praising God with your voices and with your instruments. It doesn't matter where you are, the location. God is to be praised by you, so use your voice and instruments, whatever you can find, to praise God wherever you are. But it's not just the location that's being mentioned here. It's the occasions that are being included in this. The point of a lot of these instruments is they're used in different times of our life, different seasons for different things. The trumpets were used for national celebration. There was something big that brought Israel together. There'd be a lot of trumpets being blasted to get people's attention. So that was a national celebration. But it used a symbol and dancing with the symbols for times of joy. So if something was exciting in your life, maybe even in your home, you'd use symbols and dancing to show your excitement and praise to God. If you used a flute, you were praising God in the routine, everyday part of life. And so the point here is if you're having a big celebration, praise God. If you're at home... Praise God. If you're at the temple, praise God. If you feel joy, praise God. If you feel sadness, well, keep praising God. There's no situation where we can't find a reason to praise God. That day by day by day, at any place and in any situation, we should be finding ways to praise God in all these things. The greatness and the goodness of God, friends, should move our hearts to praise Him every day. You know, that raises a question for us. This is what God requires of us, that a God who is infinitely great and infinitely good requires us to have to gaze upon him, to have affections for him, and to respond in praise to him, not just here on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week. How do we cultivate a lifestyle of praising God in this way? What is our responsibility? What are some steps we can take as we enter the new year to grow in praising God every day? I want to give you three things I think will help us grow, help me grow and help all of us grow in cultivating a lifestyle of praising God wherever we are every day. Number Three things. Number one, simply study God's word. Study God's word. Remember, praise is expressing admiration for something that you value or find worthy. That means you have to think about it. And how do we be reminded of God's greatness and goodness? How do we think about God? Well, we go back to his word. Friends, I can't help but wonder if sometimes our praise in our personal daily lives, even our praise in this room, may feel dry in our hearts. 
because we haven't taken time to gaze upon God's greatness and goodness through his word in the days before. Our praise is a response. It's an overflow of us seeing God. So how do we focus on God? Well, we go back to his word. Remember Psalm number 19 when we looked at that one? Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Notice the next word. It revives our soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now notice verse 10 here. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings in the honeycomb. Or if you want a modern translation, sweeter also than chocolate and all the chocolate you could have found at Christmas. That God's word is to be desirable to us because it rejoices our heart. Friends, if our praise feels dry, if our praise feels cold, we need to take time to step back each day and gaze upon the greatness and goodness of God. And we do that by simply opening his word and looking to see the God who has revealed himself to us. Friends, that's one of the reasons why we spent six months in the psalm. So my prayer for myself and for us together corporately in doing this is that we would see in fresh ways the greatness and goodness of God. It would stir our hearts to go deeper in our praise of him all week long because we're encountering him in his word. So we study God's word. Number two, we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Friends, you and I cannot manufacture the emotions that overflow into praise of God. You and I can't have any type of strategy or white-knuckle determination that will cause us to manufacture these emotions. They are a gift from God as we encounter Him. But friends, as the Holy Spirit fills us, as He opens our eyes to the wonder of His Word, as we see God for who He is, as we're reminded throughout the day of the character of God, praise then overflows. Think back to Ephesians chapter 5 when we were setting our journey through Ephesians together early in the year. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we have this command. To not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we may, must keep reading because what comes next shows us what it's like in verse 19 when we're full of the Holy Spirit. We are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we are doing what next? Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's the overflow that happens when we are outwardly speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we are singing praise to God, it's coming from a heart that overflows from being filled with the Holy Spirit who's opening our eyes to the greatness and the goodness of God and we can't help it because it's the fruit of being filled by Him. So if we want to grow in 2020 in praising a God who is great and glorious and has shown Himself to us, then we read His Word each day and we pray each morning, Holy Spirit, fill me, take control, show me Yourself today and watch what He does in that. But number three, how do we want to grow in praising God? We praise God together. There's an important corporate part of this. If we want to grow in praising God, we focus on doing this together like we do week by week. Friends, we need each other. Go back to Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Now, I told you earlier that this word praise was a command. They were told 13 times. Now, if you think to Hebrew and Greek when we studied these words before in the Bible... In the Greek, Hebrew and the Greek both, there are plural commands and there are singular commands. Now, these get lost in the translation sometimes. There are some commands that are addressed to an individual. There's other commands that are addressed plural to a group. I bet you can guess what type of command this is. It's a plural command. This is not a singular, you by yourself go praise God. This is 
and southern, y'all praise the Lord. Y'all praise God in his sanctuary. Y'all praise him in his mighty heavens. This is a you guys, you all. This is everyone together. It's a plural command. Thirteen times we're told, you together praise the Lord. You together praise God. You together praise him. You together praise him. On and on, thirteen times. These are plural commands for us to do together. God is commanding us to praise him together. Because when we do that, friends, something happens. It's not, it is a witness to the world when they see God's people praising him. But something happens in my heart, friends, when I come into this room and we together start singing praises to God. Or if we're sitting in our life group and we sing a song together. If we're at a prayer gathering and someone just, as we're praying, begins to sing to the Lord. When we begin to sing together, something happens that stirs our hearts' affections and reminds us of the greatness and goodness of God. And we pray that flows over into our daily lives. So, friends, as we enter 2020 and start a new year ahead... I don't do resolutions, but one thing that might be good for us to intentionally set aside time for this year is to day by day open God's word looking for the greatness and goodness of God. To day by day pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to make it a regular point to be with other believers in our body of Christ here to be singing praises to God. Friends, the greatness and goodness of God should move our hearts to praise him every day. And I pray this year as we start a new year that God will give us much grace grace upon grace, to where our hearts' longings grow to know him more, where our experience of his greatness and goodness both grows, where we taste and see his goodness in new ways, and that we would grow corporately together and individually in the way we respond to him in praise for all that he is and all that he's shown us that he is. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who's both infinitely great and infinitely good. Father, that'd be terrifying if you were a God who is great but not good. And it would be very pitiful if you were a God who was good but wasn't great. But I pray we would treasure that you are a God who is both great and good. That you are sovereign, all-powerful. You are ruling and reigning. That you are above all. And yet you're near. And you're with us. And you love us. And you lead us. And you guide us. And you convict us. Lord, I pray that we would treasure you for who you are. Lord, in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray that this year, Lord, you would grow us each individually and corporately and seeing more of your greatness and more of your goodness. Would you forgive us for those times that we're satisfied with what we know about you and we're satisfied with our experience of you? Lord, would you increase our hunger and affections for you? Would you give us a holy discontentment with where we are right now? Would you give us a longing to know more of your word, more of the experience of your Holy Spirit, more of we're just seeking after you? Lord, I pray as we seek after you in this new year that you would meet with us, that you would give us grace upon grace upon grace, Lord to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in our experience of you, to grow in seeing you work in our midst and through us. Lord, our desire is that you would get all the glory and that we find all the joy as we seek to make you known. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?